know the why human trafficking work is needed to fight for the freedom of modern day slaves. But love, passion, commitment isn't all you need to be an effective and successful anti-trafficking advocate. Learn the how. I'm Dr. Celia Williamson, Director of the Human Trafficking and Social Justice Institute at the University of Toledo. Welcome to the Emancipation Nation podcast, where I'll provide you with the latest and best methods, policy, and practice discussed by experienced experts in the field so that you can cut through the noise, save time, and be about the work of saving lives. Welcome to the Emancipation Nation podcast, episode 10. If this is your first time listening, please consider subscribing. If you've listened before, then consider giving me a review. The more reviews we get, the more we'll be found and the more potential anti-trafficking advocates we can recruit. Also, think about sharing the podcast and letting people know that might be interested in human trafficking advocacy, share the podcast with them. Okay, so today I don't have any guests on the show. What I really want to focus on today is a concept that I think people consider important in anti-trafficking work, but few people are really good at it. This concept is something that's so critical for advocates to master that it can literally break or make your success as an anti-trafficking advocate and really with any big problem that you're trying to solve. And that concept is collaboration. So today I really want to focus on helping you become good collaborators because you can't be a successful advocate without it. And yet it's the very thing that people really don't teach other people how to do. It's just expected that you'll know how to do it and you'll be successful at it. And that really, really couldn't be further from the truth. So collaboration is one of those key tools that advocates use the most to move their issue forward. So there's an old African proverb that says, if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. And in fact, no social movement has ever been successful without good, solid collaboration. The very word social and movement means to move a group of people into action to create change that benefits oppressed populations. I mean, really, you can't do much of anything in the anti-trafficking world without collaboration. I mean, you can't open a group home and successfully run it because you need to refer your kids out or your women out. People need to refer into the home. You can't really do effective street outreach because, again, you have to make those referrals. You can't really do case management. You can't do fundraising. I mean, you really can't be effective without knowing how to really be a good collaborator. I mean, there are these lone wolves out here that think they don't need to work together and, they're, and they become these superstars when in fact they could be so much more effective if they knew how to effectively and efficiently work with other people. And the people that are being held up sort of as the superstars in this movement, they're well aware that there are many, many people that they work with and partner with and collaborate with. And if you ask them, they would tell you about all the people it takes to really move an issue forward. Because the issue is complex and diverse, it requires diversity and complexity, meaning different disciplines, lots of different thoughts, lots of different types of people. These lone wolves out here are kicking ass and taking names. That just is not real. That's in the movies. But to really genuinely move an issue forward means that we have to work together and we have to collaborate. The word for the day 
is no silos. <laughs> we do not work in silos. We try to work as collaboratively and across disciplines as possible. So again, almost anything you do is going to require collaboration. And your success as an advocate will absolutely depend on how successful you are at it. So this is an important episode because collaboration is one of those skills, and yes, it's a skill, that doesn't really come naturally, yet you're expected to naturally know how to do it and be successful at it. So in this episode, I'm really going to challenge you and help you understand and become a great collaborator. To be a great collaborator, there are some internal agreements that you have to make with yourselves and some external agreements that you have to master. How competent you are in these areas will really tell you about your collaboration competency quotient. So let's get into those. First is your internal agreements that you'll make with yourself. The first internal agreement is you agree to listen. Not just hear what the person's saying, but I mean, listen with an open spirit. Honestly, how many times have, particularly if you disagree, how many times have you been building your argument, your rebuttal, while they're still talking? So as soon as they stop talking, you can jump in with your argument. But if you're already listening to what your rebuttal is going to be, then you can't be listening really to what they have to say. Also, the way you disagree tells people in the room a lot more about you than it does about the person you believe is wrong, which isn't your intent. Your intent is to let them know and other people in the room know that this person's wrong. But if you do it in less than a professional way, then it tells the room much more about you than it does about the other person. And if they are wrong, there's a way for you to say it in a way that preserves their dignity and has respect for what it was they were trying to say. And that also tells people in the room a lot about you. But if you are less than professional, if you are aggressive, if you are inappropriate, then perhaps people in the room also disagree with this other person, but they also don't want to deal with you. So, And they may lump you and this person that's wrong in the same bucket and say, I don't want to deal with either of those, which is not your intent. So instead of being aggressive or inappropriate or emotional, or people say it's passionate, instead of being so passionate about it, how about you take a breath, you step back and you say, okay, this person hasn't been as far down the path of enlightenment as I have, but they're on their way. And we're on the same team. We're at the table trying to fight the same thing. We're about the same mission. And so if I listen then I can help this person understand more if I say it in a way that they can receive the information and start to move a little bit further down the path toward enlightenment. Second, this is the second internal agreement, is I'm going to agree to learn. I'm going to learn because we should be open from learning from other people. If we have all the right answers, then we don't need to listen and we don't need to learn. But of course, we don't have all the answers. So I need to learn where this person or where people in the room are coming from. And that takes discipline. It takes skill. And where they're coming from is usually the discipline where they've been trained, where they've gotten their degree or where they've spent their time, where their experience is. For instance, if they're a police officer, they may have a particular point of view 
a pastor, a nurse, a survivor, an empowered sex worker. They see the world in different ways, perhaps different ways than you do. I call it drinking the Kool-Aid. So you drank the Kool-Aid and now you preach, you believe, you espouse certain things and you see the world a certain way and you see the problem a certain way. And that problem, of course, the way you see it directly relates to the solutions that you come up with. But what we have to understand is the solutions to a complex problem come from many different disciplines and perspectives. And that's a good thing because if you come from one mindset, one discipline, you can't get outside of your own head. So it's sort of like you have a hammer. And so then everything looks like a nail. Every solution looks like a nail. And that's why you have to appreciate and respect the viewpoints of people who drank different Kool-Aid. It's only when your perspective becomes your dogma, then you cease to be a collaborating member because dogma is something that is inconvertibly true. You can't learn from other people when you're always right. And you probably are right. But instead of your way or no way, how about your way and other ways? Not only am I at risk of, you know, having a dogma about my perspective and what I think should happen and the way I see things, but the other problem is I can also have a judgment about your discipline because maybe I have some life experience with your discipline or your life experience. Maybe I've seen your type on a television show or I've read about your perspective somewhere. And I have opinions about that. Sometimes they're positive opinions, sometimes they're negative opinions. But what I have to suspend judgment in doing is I have to not paint a caricature of your profession or of your experience and then pass judgment based on that caricature. For example, Police officers might be at the table and I might say to myself, well, I know who you are. I know all about you. I know what you're about. You're not invested. You're not genuine. You just want to arrest people. You just want to take people down. You just want to control people. And if I have an opinion of that profession, then anybody that walks in the room has to prove themselves innocent in my court of opinion. And in hearing whatever they have to say, I'm filtering it through my bias that I already have about you, about your profession. Or maybe you're a police officer and you think religious people do nothing but pray about things. Or social workers go around hugging trees and petting bunnies and you think they're too soft on crime. And so you tend to hear whatever they say filtered through that lens. But when you are a successful collaborator, you have to open yourself up to learning from what other people have to say. Be willing to receive their information and then consider... If what they're saying in their approach, their perspective, their viewpoint, be willing to consider incorporating that and expanding your knowledge, your perspective, your approaches, or at least you've heard their entire perspective and approach and you can decide that's not a perspective you are willing to adopt, but at least you know why you're not willing to adopt it and you're fully aware why you don't support that viewpoint. The third internal agreement that you have to make with yourself is to value what other people bring to the table. And that's the most important skill that you can adopt. If you listen and you learn their perspective, 
their approach. Then you begin to understand their motivation for being there and buying into that mission. And in order to understand all of those things, you have to first understand their language. And it's not your discipline, so it's pretty hard to understand and translate. But yes, as a good collaborator, you're asked to be bilingual, trilingual. You're asked to really begin to translate and understand their language because once you understand how they're using language, then you can learn to value what they bring to the table. So you start by taking risks, by asking questions, because you'll have to be able to translate what they're saying. Different disciplines, different people with years of experience, they go around throwing out terms and alphabet soup as if everybody in the room understands what they're talking about and what their perspective is. And you don't understand. You couldn't possibly understand. You don't come from that discipline or that experience. So you have to use some courage and ask, what do you mean by that? What does that mean? And take the time to learn their perspective and the terms that they're using. You know, uh, professionals will throw around acronyms like alphabet soup, and they'll use words and terms to sum up a bunch of information. And they think that everybody in the room understands what they're talking about. For instance, public health professionals, they love to use the term the social determinants of health. And how would you know what that means? But what that means is that public health professionals' perspective is that there are certain things that determine whether we have a healthier society or a less healthy society. For instance, zip code often determines your health. And somebody that lives in a particular zip code might live average well into their 80s. Someone that lives, you know, a few neighborhoods away in a low-income neighborhood, high crime area, lots of stress, may live in their 60s, 70s by average. And so they say that racism and sexism and poverty and all of these social issues can determine health. And because these are social issues, they're social determinants of health. And so those things I'm very interested in. I'm very interested in fighting racism and sexism and having a healthier society. And I would have totally missed that whole concept had I not said, wait a minute, what what are you talking about social determinants of health? What does that mean? And so once they broke it down to me, I could understand their perspective and where not only they were coming from, but their whole profession is coming from. And I like them a lot more. I connect with them a lot more, join with them a lot more because I took the time to understand, to listen, to learn. And now I value what they bring to the table. So take the time, ask them what they mean, ask them to define things, ask them what the procedures are for how they do something and why those procedures might be in place and appreciate what they're saying. Take the initiative to learn their language, their perspective, their motivation. This will let you know how to best approach them, how to get buy-in from them and people like them, how to meet their needs. You'll understand how they see the mission. And once you understand that, you'll be able to meet their needs while also serving the mission. You'll be able to collaborate in a way that speaks to them, speaks to yourself and other people at the table. You'll speak their language. And when you do that, you gain allies, you connect, you understand, you move the issue forward in a manner that everybody buys in. And when people buy in, they work harder at seeing the mission be served.
Otherwise, we see people all the time go in a room, talk for an hour. They're all talking to each other. They believe they understand each other. They believe they're communicating and they believe they're collaborating. And then everybody leaves. Very few things were really understood. There was even less connection because we didn't understand each other's motivation or or perception or language or approach. We hadn't really found out who they are, what they're capable of, what they could potentially bring to the table. Essentially a wasted hour. So to recap, your three initial internal agreements are to listen, to learn, to understand your collaborators at the table, their language, their motivation, their perspective, their approach, and build a trusting relationship from there to move forward. Then there are four external agreements. They're external because people in the room see these, see you demonstrate these things. The first one is to agree not to be competitive to agree to be collaborative. I remember working with four agencies who wanted to collaborate, who came to the table to collaborate. First thing we wanted to do was develop a collaborative flyer. They all went back into their corners, talked to each other, came back to the table and said, we want each individual flyer. And when I asked why and reminded them this is a collaboration, they woke up sort of like they were on autopilot. Oh, We didn't even realize that we were being competitive when we did that. So again, collaboration is a skill. So we come to the table and agree to be collaborative, not competitive. The second external agreement is to be fully present when you come to the meeting, not texting, not writing things down that have nothing to do with the meeting, not daydreaming, not turning your ears off because I don't need to listen to this person anymore. I know who they are but you are fully present because you want to be fully present because you want to be a good collaborative partner. The fourth external agreement is being at the table for the right reasons. And it's external because people will see this, although subtly they'll see it, but not being there to advance your career because it would be good to put on your resume, not being there because your boss said to go and you don't really want to be there, And not being there because you have an ulterior motive or an agenda that has little to do with the mission. You're there for the mission. The fourth and last external agreement that you'll make, that people will see, is that you're coming to the table to use the time in a productive way. Whether you're the chair or you're not the chair, you're there to help facilitate, to keep the balance between process and accomplishment. And not sit there passively and let somebody else do all the work. But you're there to encourage the facilitator to have a good balance between process and accomplishment. And when there's too much processing going on, you help the facilitator by stepping in and helping to move that toward accomplishment. And when accomplishment is decisions are going too fast and you notice people don't understand, they aren't able to process, that you help facilitate it by slowing it down so that people can process. You're not there to complain about the meetings. You're there to help the facilitator stay on topic. You come to the meetings and you give suggestions, but you're also willing to step in and make sure that the suggestion you offer, that you lead it. You're not there to offer suggestions for other people to do. You don't tune out, but you tune in. You don't non-verbally fold your arms as if you don't want to listen. You're not talking to the person next to you. You're not answering the phone. You're not leaving the room to answer the phone unless it's an emergency. So to recap, your three internal agreements are you're listening, you're learning, you're valuing what your partners at the table have to say and who they are. 
Your external agreements is you came to the table to be collaborative, not competitive. You're fully present. You're at the table for the right reasons. And you're making sure also, along with everybody else, that the time being used is productive. Now, a couple of observations. When I talked about your profession or your experience not becoming your dogma, your only hammer that you have and everything else looks like a nail. Conversely, as well, some people don't speak up about their experience or about their discipline. And their discipline may be wonderful and they need to stand up and show up and speak up, but make sure that everyone else has a voice as well. But you need to empower yourself to bring the best in your experience and in your perspective and in your approach and from your discipline. Your discipline, your approach, your experience is valuable and make sure you include it at the collaborative table. So being a good collaborator requires those seven steps. To start those seven steps, we're going to put you in a recovery program because you've been on autopilot perhaps and you come to the table and maybe you're competitive, maybe you start to tune out. So I want you to lean into this process of recovery and become a great collaborator. Check in with yourself. Make sure you're practicing these principles and that you're mastering these internal and external agreements. If you do, people will see you as fair. You will be respected and you want respect. Not so much to feed your ego. You need respect from the group because when things deteriorate or when there's problems or there's bumps in the roads, and it will happen, people will see what you do, where you fall. They will listen and they'll learn from you. They'll value what you say. They may decide to be fully present because you're there. Some will begin to come to the table for the right reasons because they see you come to the table for the right reasons. They won't want to waste time because they see you attempting to use the time as productive. And they'll lean into and trust the process because you're a member with integrity. You're a member devoted to the mission. And people like to follow others that have integrity and can build trust. And when that happens, your movement will go further. Let's not just do something. Let's do the best thing. If you like this episode of Emancipation Nation, please subscribe and I'll send you the weekly podcast. Until then, the fight continues.